And please take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. Now we're, we're continuing our study through the book of Matthew. And you know what I love about this book? The way it reveals God being clear in his message to people about his son, Jesus, that he sent into this world to be king, ultimately, to be savior, but also the messenger of God. God has a passion and a concern for his people, the people of this world that he created. He wants to reveal his truth to them. God doesn't hide his truth from the people of God or the people of the region here in the book of Matthew, but he brings it clearly through, first of all, John the Baptist as he prepared the way for the Messiah, but then through Messiah himself. But as we'll see, that message doesn't stop with Jesus. It continues through disciples as well. As a matter of fact, you and I are here this morning because disciples carried the message of Jesus Christ so that we could know him and know the truth of who he is and how we enter into relationship with God through him. So let's look at this passage of scripture together and let's see what the word of God reveals about how God brings his message ultimately through disciples to everyone. But the power of that message comes through the Lord Jesus Christ who came to reveal God's truth. We find in this passage good news about Christ's kingdom. And what we find as we come to that 12th verse is, verse is the, the message of the kingdom of heaven is shared by the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see is a transition that takes place as we come to this 12th verse. Many more people began to hear the gospel of the kingdom. You see, when we left it off, we left it off with the story of John the Baptist in chapter 3, who had shared the message of the kingdom with people in a pretty remote region. His message was gaining prominence as more and more people came to hear. But something that John himself said and certainly was playing out was this, that his ministry would diminish, but the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ would increase. And that's what we see taking place here. As a matter of fact, we left off with Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness right after he had been baptized. And then we pick up in verse 12, and it would appear, if we were just reading Matthew, that this took place immediately after the temptation of Jesus, but that's not the case. There were some things that took place in between the temptation of Jesus and the passage that we're looking into here in the book of Matthew. And what we find is this, John was continuing his ministry, but that ministry was interrupted. Look at the beginning of the 12th verse, and it says this, now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. So we have Jesus preaching, sharing ministry, sharing the truth right after the temptation. But John the Baptist was continuing to do that, and something happened. John the Baptist began to share the inappropriate nature of a relationship that one of the Herods had with a sister-in-law. They were in an adulterous relationship. And 
when he spoke out against it, what we find in the book of Luke is he was incarcerated for saying what many, or at least Herod himself, considered to be the wrong thing. By the way, this wasn't the Herod uh, that we learned about earlier in the book of Matthew. This was one of his sons. And what Luke brings out is this. But Herod the Tetrarch, meaning one of four rulers, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, and this is, by the way, his brother's wife, for all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all that he locked up John in prison. So John's ministry, calling out sin, calling people to repentance, found persecution. And Matthew touches on that when he shares with us that John was experiencing this persecution for speaking the truth. But really what Matthew is doing is transitioning us into more of an emphasis and focus on the one that John was preaching about, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the passage further as we come to the 13th verse. And notice it says this, Jesus had withdrawn to Galilee, and then verse 13, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now, when we look at this, we're thinking just these are points on the map, and we're not thinking about much else, right? But when we look at this region, the region of Galilee, the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, what we find is this. Jesus' ministry was expanding, and it was not only expanding to the number of people, but it was also expanding to the kind of people that Jesus ministered to. You see, for many who were in Jerusalem and Judea, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee and that whole region, they were rejected by the religionists of Jesus' day. And they were rejected because they weren't in the religious epicenter, the hub of the Jewish religion. They were viewed as disconnected, far away. They were viewed also as rubbing shoulders too much with Gentiles. You see, in the first century, you didn't rub shoulders with Gentiles. You remained separate and pure and distinct from them. And so when it's brought out that Jesus reaches out to the very people that the religionists of his day rejected, it shows us the heart of God and it shows us the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't go to the religionists of his day first. He went to the people who needed to hear the truth and he shared the truth of God with these people. And something else is at play. Notice the 14th verse once again. It says, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Matthew's point in writing this book is to point to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one of the Old Testament. And again and again and again and again, he says this fulfills what the prophet said. It's an indicator, an identifier of Jesus as the Messiah from God. And look at what Matthew pulls out from the book of Isaiah. 
It is as follows from Isaiah chapter 9. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Look at this next statement. Galilee of the Gentiles. What he's doing is identifying the very complaint that many of the religionists had about Jesus, that he was ministering to Jews and Gentiles. And what he shares is the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. So what he's sharing with us doesn't sound that out of sorts to us, but to the people of Matthew's day and Jesus' day, this was something that was different. It was something that shows the heart of God to reach the least and the lost. And it shares with us an important message that those in spiritual darkness, no matter who they are, need to hear the message of God's truth. You know, when I think about this passage of Scripture, and I think about how this light came to a place of darkness, this isn't something that just was a need in the first century. This is still a need today. When someone does not have a personal relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, they are in darkness Many consider themselves to be religious. Many consider themselves to be okay with God on their own terms in the ways that they have in their own understanding come to the place to where they say, now I have a relationship with God. But what we think about how we have a relationship with God is unimportant. And that very thought can put us in darkness. What really matters is what God says about how we have a relationship with him. And that was the message that Jesus was bringing to those who were in darkness. He wanted them to understand the truth of light. But here's the amazing thing. These people are in darkness and they have seen a great light, verse 16. And this was true of regions spoken of in this passage of scripture, Zebulun, Naphtali, Galilee. But it was true of all of Israel and all of the then known world. They were seeing a great light. But John brings out an important truth. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. But a little later in that same first chapter, it goes on to say this. The true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Why? Because they were blinded by their own religious concepts, not open to the truth of God. It's so important that we go to the truth of God to find truth. Religion, man's attempt to know God and experience a right relationship with God, pales in comparison to relationship. And that relationship is the crux of knowing God through Jesus Christ. So that's what Matthew begins to bring out in this passage. And then he goes on to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and its meaning. And you'll find a parallel 
instruction to what John the Baptist had been saying as we come to verse 17. He's ministering in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee and all in that region that has this mixture of cultures and people and religious ideas, but he has one message. And that message is this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now again, let's review what it means to repent. The word repent carries with it the idea of a change of mind. So what he's calling the people that he preaches to is this, change your mind and be ready to receive the kingdom of heaven because it's at hand. Now, what did the people need to change their minds about? They needed to change their minds about sin. We saw that with John the Baptist as he was calling people to receive the repentance of, or, or the baptism of repentance and to state very clearly that they were turning their backs on their sin and turning to God. But for many others, there is also the idea of, I need to stop going it my way or the way that someone has told me about how to have a relationship with God, and I need to look to the king, to the Messiah, who is right here before me. And I need to embrace him as the one who is the true king. Jesus' message was that God is establishing a true kingdom, a real kingdom, right here on earth. And that they have an opportunity to turn from their sin, to turn from their belief systems to the truth, and to receive that kingdom. But the people were hard-hearted, stiff-necked. They refused to. The kingdom that Jesus is offering is a literal kingdom with him as king. We look forward to that kingdom coming when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth. We do not believe that this is just a spiritual kingdom, but it is a physical and spiritual kingdom. With Jesus Christ returning bodily to establish his throne on planet earth. It's a kingdom that will have literal sovereignty over all the nations of the earth. And it will be ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. The same one that is referenced here in Matthew. The same one that went to the cross and was crucified. The same Jesus who was resurrected. The same Jesus, we're told in the book of Acts, who ascended to the right hand of God and is coming again just as he departed. That's the kingdom that Jesus is speaking about. And what he's saying to the people is, it's at hand if you'll receive it. Something else we find as we look at this passage. Jesus began his ministry... He had a message that was clear for the people. But then as we come to verses 18 through 22, we find that Jesus made disciples to carry his message to others. There are two approaches in the disseminating the truth. One approach is the approach of addition. And what we're going to see as we look at this text is Jesus had quite an addition type ministry when he was sharing the truth. Large crowds were coming to him to hear the message of God's truth. But Jesus had a different plan for the world. 
than just attracting large crowds to hear the gospel. You see, Jesus began to select and train disciples. And it is that kind of ministry that brings us the ministry of multiplication rather than addition. Addition, large crowds, they come and they go. Multiplication starts out small but spreads. And as a result of spreading, more and more people hear the message. And it lasts and it passes from generation to generation to generation. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, we are here because of the process of discipleship. People were trained to share the gospel, and we heard the gospel through them. So looking at verse 18, what we find is this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, I immediately bond with Simon and Andrew because they were fishermen. Love to fish. Of course God is going to call fishermen, right? They learn patience. They learn stick to They have loyalty. God calls these simple blue-collar workers to be his disciples. And you know what stands out to me? <laughs> Had I been in Jesus' day, I would have gone for those with some sort of prestige, probably the elite, those with a great deal of education, those who had demonstrated an ability to lead, and they would have been my choices for disciples, and they would have been the wrong choices. Jesus takes simple men, and he does great things. That way no one can say, hey, it was because Peter and Andrew were so stellar in their reputation that God chose them. He had to. No, they were faithful. They were teachable. And God used that. The Apostle Paul said this to Timothy. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is God's plan for multiplication, for discipleship. You take the word of God and you train someone to train others who will train others. That's the process. Now, unfortunately, in many churches, that process has broken down. We are not training others to train others who will train others. This is what God wants of us. This discipleship ministry is God's plan, and it's laid out for us right here in this passage. And you know, when I read this and I think about it, I, I have to ask myself, number one, who are my Simons and Andrews? Who am I pouring my life into training and teaching so that they can carry the word of God to others? I need to ask that question, but I'm not alone. I think all of us in self-reflection maybe need to stop and ask ourselves, do I have a Simon or an Andrew that I'm teaching to carry forth 
a work of God when I'm not here? Vital question that we need to ask. And look at what Jesus says in verse 19. In verse 19, he goes on and he says this, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, during the first century, many rabbis would go and they would get disciples. And generally what happened was that those disciples would go to the rabbi, they would center his teaching, they would continue in whatever field they had, whatever work they had. Often the disciples would come to the rabbi rather than the other way around. So what Jesus is doing is unique. He goes to the people that he selects and he invites them. And rather than saying, just continue your fishing, he wants them to completely change what they're doing, abandon it, and follow him. Because what he says to them is this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, stop fishing for fish and start fishing for men. You know, there was a sign on a church that read as follows, be fishers of men, you catch them, God will clean them. Isn't that a great quote? <laughs> That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be fishers of men. And to do that, we have to be followers of God. Now, it doesn't stop with just Peter and Andrew. It says in verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. In other words, they laid it aside and said, whatever it takes, I'm all in. I'm here to follow the Messiah, but they weren't the only case because look at what it goes on to say. Verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. These were committed disciples who wanted to be followers of Jesus. And it says to me that so often we take such a contrary view of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. I'll follow you, Lord, but I have these reservations. I don't want to do these things, but I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. Or... I'll follow you when it's convenient, when it works out. Don't you know that right now there's a huge fish run going on? I can't leave this fish run to follow you. There are nets to repair, Lord. I can't follow you at this time. We always give these caveats, and it affects our discipleship. Discipleship is a strong commitment to follow God wherever God leads. And that was the reaction of these people. Then we come on to the next part of the passage. And what we find is the ministry of Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And once again, Matthew talks about the region in which he ministers, but he also talks about some more identifications of Jesus because it talks about the miracles and the teaching that authenticated him as Messiah. Look at verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, 
and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, think about this. Jesus was ministering throughout Galilee. That would have covered about 2,800 square miles. And many believe that would have included a population of about 3 million people in 204 cities. That was Jesus' ministry. So he's expanding his ministry to the cities and the villages and the countryside. And his message had two purposes. Number one, to bring people into the glorious kingdom through their repentance and their willingness to embrace him as king and the kingdom that he would establish. But then number two, it was to identify himself as king. You see, the teaching that Jesus was giving to Israel was to Israel. Notice it begins in the synagogues. He is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he is giving them sure signs that he is the Messiah. Because everyone knew that when Messiah would come on the scene, there would be healing. Isaiah said this. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. They shall see the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. When Jesus did this healing, it was healing with a purpose. And that purpose was, one, to draw people to hear the message of the kingdom, but two, to establish with clarity who he is. He is the Messiah. Now, why did Jesus begin in the synagogues and then go out into the other people, the Gentiles and those who were a mixture between Gentile and Jew? He's offering the kingdom first to the Jew, but then he is also sharing the truth with those who weren't directly offered the kingdom at that time, those who were partial Jews and those who were Gentiles. And here's the conclusion that I've come to. When we share the gospel, sometimes we prepare the ground. So often what we're concerned with in sharing the gospel is closing the deal. In other words, I want that person to respond to the gospel and to pray the sinner's prayer so that I can carve another notch in my Bible like a gunslinger for the people that I've led to God. Sometimes, folks, our mission is to plant seeds that will be used later. The Gentiles and the partial Gentiles that were hearing the message of the kingdom and the presentation of who Jesus were, is were given this message because in three years, a little less than three years, Jesus would go to the cross, be crucified, and the way of salvation would be opened to Jews and Gentiles alike. I would submit to you that the seeds that Jesus is planting here would be used by the missionaries that God would send into this region later to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So that was a big part of his purpose. He was sharing the truths of the kingdom. It says that he was bringing this gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And his fame spread through all Syria 
And they brought him the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Now we have seen movies and read books about Jesus' healing ministry. And we look and we things of the gospel for a little while 
run away. Those are the ones who never really committed to the gospel. They never really received it as God's truth. It was a curiosity. But there are others who hear the gospel, give their lives to Christ, and watch him change them. And we're going to see both groups as we go through the gospel of Matthew. Thought.